There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 8th of August 2013. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll see all the official sites I have listed there. And you can, if you get sticking on download, by the way, of any of the audios, try one of the other ones on that site. Because lots of people go into the comm site at once and uh, sometimes causes that. They'll carry well over a thousand audios for, for downloads, say for free. And you can go through the big system that runs the world and the plans it made a hundred years ago, at least, to bring in a society like the one we've got today, including the, the, the George Orwell's type of society that we have to go through to get into the Brave New World Huxleyan society. So we're going through all of it today, and I go through the history of it, uh, the organizations involved with it, all private organizations, by the way, that's what really runs the world. And uh, the big bankers behind it, too, that formed the big institutions that started it all up, like the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is a private club in Council on Foreign Relations. So help yourself to that. Remember, too, all those sites listed at cuttingthroughthematrix.com uh, also have transcripts in English for print-up of many talks I've given, and you can get transcripts in other languages if you go into Alan Watt Sentin- sentinel.eu. And I always remind the people, too, that uh, you bring me to you. I don't take money from advertisers, and uh, I don't uh, push all kinds of products. All I have is the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and that helps me just tick along sometimes, and sometimes not even ticking, more like crawling. But anyway, it's up to you to keep me going if you like what you hear, because um, so many people use information that's put out here. And even other hosts actually use it verbatim, even the words I say often about uh, different topics uh, on on their shows as well. And so there's a big, big following out there. But not enough people uh, actually help me out at all. They think it's all for free completely. So, And uh, that's why most of the hosts do make their their living on selling lots and lots of different products, etc., and getting a big whack in return too. So you can buy the books and discs, remember, at cuttingtrimates.com. Uh, from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders, or you can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal as well. And straight donations are really seriously welcome as we go through inflation. This, con- this quantitative easing, they call, it, they call it now, it sounds better than inflation because we, we get the inflation from the old Great Depression days. They don't want to use it again. And words were always used to deceive us and trick us, etc., etc. And uh, so, as I say, straight donations are really, really welcome. Now, the world we're going through today, all the changes that are happening today were planned long before you were born. All the wars across all the different Arabian countries were all planned long, long ago. In fact, even your grandparents were oblivious of the fact that World War One and Two were planned as well by the same organization that brought the Boer War. Uh, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and their, their own personal historian, Professor Carl Quigley, uh, wrote about it in his b- two books he put out too, 
and one of the better ones too is the Anglo-American establishment. He goes through the fact that the the uh, attacked South Africa, a private group that, they, that belonged to the Milner, Lord Alfred Milner Group and the Cecil Rhodes Foundation bunch with Lord Rothschild, they attacked the Dutch in order to get a war started and blamed the Dutch, of course, for uh, as always, for causing it. And then they got the British troops in there too. But they planned to take over the world's natural resources, everything that was wealth of any kind at all, minerals, gold, diamonds, silver, throughout Africa and the rest of the world, and eventually down in, in the latter stages to water and food and so on. We're, we're pretty well there today. So this has been ongoing all the time. But they also said that they wanted world wars because world wars would bring countries to their knees. Uh, they give up sovereignty. They go under a global uh, government and they can amalgamate countries into whole trading blocks, just like the EU is now in a trading block today. And America has still to follow it that for the Americas. Uh, and up the Far Eastern Pacific Rim region too would fall under China, which is happening now. So all this stuff was planned long before we were born, as they say, and the countries that held out to the last that wouldn't take on a private central bank with the Bank for International Settlements at the top of it are being bombed out of existence. They start with color revolutions. There are paid students that are paid to go out from the West to, to agitate. And if that doesn't work, they bring it to send in mercenary troops. And that's what we've had war after war after war till those countries collapse. Uh, some of them, they want to keep fighting forever amongst themselves. That's what Kissinger said. Rather than uh, get the country back on its feet, uh, they'll keep them fighting forever by supplying arms to all factions of different types of or splintered groups of religions across the Middle East and keep them fighting with each other. So that's what Kissinger suggested before they even had the Iraq war start. So he was right on with it. That's what they've got what they wanted. But they also wanted Egypt too, and then Syria, and then they wanted uh, uh, Libya too. And they've got pretty well all that they've wanted, except for Iran yet. They've still to get Iran. That was on the list in the 90s that were pu- was published by the PNAC group. So we're, we're just living through planned agendas, including the crashes with the bank. In other words, what I'm telling you is we're living through a script. And the world really is scripted. Anything that happens on a large scale that affects so many people is always uh, planned by big think tanks long before, as I say, years and years before it all happens. Uh, all the outcome of it, the fallout and so on, is all, all considered before they even start the game off, in fact. Uh, just like a military uh, exercise, if we attack here, what will the repercussions be, etc., etc. Or if we collapse the banks back in uh, 2008, what will the repercussions be? Or if we give uh, all the factories over to China through the World Trade Organization, what will the repercussions be back home for jobs and so on? Everything is factored in with big organizations and think tanks like the Rand Corporation, for instance. And they do massive reports for governments. They advise governments on all policies and social issues. And the public really have no input whatsoever. The only ones that appear to do are the non-governmental organizations that that demand certain laws changed along the socialist agenda, which the big bankers want, by the way. And um, because the bankers love debt and socialist agendas always create lots of debt. And... um, and so it's all going according to plan, as I say, uh, as they bring this whole society. But people have no idea that the very culture they have now, including the fallout, the degraded culture, um, was all, again, planned and spoken about back in about the 1950s with people like Julian Huxley, Aldous Huxley's brother, and Julian, when he was head of UNESCO and so on. 
He talked about this Planned Parenthood and then knocking the humans off their throne or off their pedestal until they're taught they're just another animal. And eugenics would be a big part of this too. And then they would create hypersexualism and promiscuity. Therefore, they would never, children, if they get them started very, very young, they'd never bond for life. They could never get on with each other. They'd never bond. And that's happened. So they got what they wanted. And then, of course, mass abortion too, because again, we're off our pedestal and human life is no different than any other life and so on and so on. It's all worked out very, very well. But these guys all attended think tanks, uh, many of them every year, uh, like the Huxley's and so on. They knew the agenda. They took part in it and many other players did too. And they wrote lots of books about it too that nobody reads anymore because they don't want you to know that everything that happens on any large scale is planned at the top, not from the bottom. It doesn't happen. It doesn't come out of left field. It's all planned at the top. And that's the kind of world we're living through. So most folk, mind you, uh, adapt to the changes because, again, the think tanks have done so many studies on us with the behaviorist scientists and and neuroscientists and so on. Uh, so many studies on humanity. And they also bring historians and professors uh, and anthropologists in to, to see how people in the past uh, adopted or adapted to new situations in previous cultures. And they know darn well that we will adapt too to any changes that come down the pike, even if it leaves you facing 180 degrees the other direction at the end. You'll adapt and adapt and adapt and think it's all normal. That's how predictable we are. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system and how everything's planned way, way in advance by big think tanks that work on the strategies with military precision. And actually, these are a lot of guys from the military too, and and many of their plans across the planet. And they do design plans for every country, or or countries have been amalgamated and so on. Uh, And the fallouts, as I say, from what they're going to do, the repercussions, and how to even deal with repercussions. This is all before they they make the first move on on the chessboard. And so they even give us false leaders to follow, things like that. They put them up there. Why get a leader when there's one already made for you? That's how simple things really are in this day and age. But you find, and we find this too with the so-called color revolutionaries. The, the color revolution has been, been really financed by the West for years to go into different countries, first in Europe and then across the Middle East and even as far as, as into uh, Iran, for instance, to try and agitate from within. And uh, many of them are students uh, and they're paid to go over there and start to agitate. And if that doesn't work, as I say, they send in the troops or they also send in mercenaries like it's happening in Syria today. And now they're calling them jihadists and so many different names for the same color of revolutionaries under the the guise of uh, freedom fighters. But it says, Egypt now claims that the jihadists fired a U.S. Hellfire missile at the government office. Egypt's Interior Ministry posted the photos on its Facebook page, which claims was a a U.S.-made AGM-114F air-to-surface missile used during an attack in the Sinai Peninsula by Muslim insurgents. 
it's unknown how the hellfire missile wound up in the hands of extremists. Well, we, we know how, they, how they've ended up there because the U.S. has been supplying them for years uh, since this whole thing started, in fact. And even the farce in, in Libya, when they took Libya down, then they were then using Libya as a stepping stone to arm the rebels and, and ship the stuff in. Before that, they were using Qatar to get them into into the hands of all these so-called rebels, which were all getting on the payroll of the Western countries. But anyway, it says the jihadists in Egypt's lawless Sinai Peninsula are using U.S. weapons to carry out attacks against the temporary government in the wake of the military's ouster of President Mohamed Morsi, according to embattled nations interior ministry. The government office posted an official statement on its Facebook page, along with the images of an exploded missile that hit the third floor of a building in the city of El Arish last week. The post said terrorist forces targeted the North Sinai Security Directorate Office with a ballistic missile that struck the third floor, leaving three soldiers injured. While attacks in the Sinai, which borders Gaza and is a haven for terrorist activity, have become commonplace of the prospect that militants have U.S. weapons typically fired from helicopters at their disposal is especially alarming. And etc. 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 If you notice too that the mainstream media has gone totally quiet on this, they're not. They don't want you. You understand how easy it is to get the public distracted onto trivia, back to trivia again, and things which are irrelevant or emotive topics, things that happen at home which are emotional, which get you on one side or another of something. You see, and and they don't. It can distract you from what your own countries are doing abroad. And and the U.S., of course, is involved in more wars than you can probably keep up with across the planet right now. And it, it took over from Britain. This was the whole idea with the Royal Institute of International Affairs and CFR, was that uh, they would take over from Britain uh, and the British Empire system, and they would become the policemen for the world. And you can even go into the writings of some of the professors in Oxford University, the old ones, who talked about who would take over after that. They said China would become the policeman of the world once the U.S. was exhausted and bankrupt, etc. So we're all almost there right now, in fact. So, also, you find this article here to do with uh, bribery in big and high places, of course, which is nothing new because that's, the way, that's how things work in high places. But it says that Putin of Russia, Vladimir Putin, laughs at the Saudi offer to betray Syria in exchange for a huge arm deal. And uh, so this is out of one of the most surprising news to hit the tape yesterday was that Saudi Arabia, exasperated and desperate by Russia's relentless support of the Syrian regime and refusal to abandon the Syrian army, thus facilitating the Qatari plan to pass its NAT gas pipeline to Europe under Syria, had quietly approached Putin with a proposal for a huge arms deal and a pledge to, to boost Russian influence in the Arab world if only Putin would abandon Syria's Assad. It will hardly come as a surprise to anyone that in the aftermath of yesterday's dilettante mistake by Obama, which alienated Putin for the Western world and its subservient states such as Saudi Arabia, of course, has just said no. So Putin said no. It will come as no surprise because, as we explained before, the biggest loser from Russia abandoning Syria uh, says we'd be none other than Russia's most important company, Gazprom which would lose its energy grip over Europe as Qatar replaced it as a natural gas vendor. What's shocking in all of this is that Saudi Arabia was so stupid and or naive to believe that Putin would voluntarily cede geopolitical control over the insolvent Eurozone, where he has more influence, according to some, than even the ECB, the European Central Bank, or Bernanke, especially in the winter, it says. 
That's how things happen in high places. And you'll find it through all politicians too, in all countries, uh, as they take money and bribes from uh, punters uh, and, and lobbyists, etc., etc., to get their things. But we live in a very corrupt age, folks. We really do. And, and in politics too, remember, uh, it's more so because these guys are very aggressive. They're, they're classified as the, the hysterical attention-seeking psychopath. That's what, the same as the actors and actresses fall under. And, uh, and politicians are in the same grouping. And, uh, and they're de- they like the limelight, they like the applause and all that. And they like uh, getting honorary titles, etc. Uh, it, it boosts their ego and they live on ego. And they have no problems taking cash. Most of them have no problems at all taking cash. That's how it's probably always been. Because psychopaths tend to gravitate and head towards where the power base is. They don't want to dirty their hands doing real work or labor. They want to get to the top. And that goes for men and women too, by the way. And also this article here. About, uh, it's just that this is more trivia actually, I'd say, than anything else. But it just shows you too, after all the different shootings, etc., at schools and, and, and so on, uh, how different it is, uh, when something's turned, something is turned, or, or the tables are turned in some way. Generally, if, if you know if a student starts killing, etc., uh, that sits, and you probably never get back into any school again, if you if it stayed alive, that is. But, it's different if someone becomes, gets up into the higher realms of academia. And this is about a professor who killed his entire family, and he'll teach at university this fall, it says. And it says that uh, administrators at a private university in Illinois are standing by a professor despite revelations that he shot and killed his father, then his mother and teenage sister in 1967. He was 16-year-old at the time, and they call him, he, call, he changed his name to St. James, and he killed his entire family with a rifle. As is in the statement issued today, officials at Millican University said they would allow the psychology professor, James St. James, to continue teaching despite having learned of his past. So it's different, you see. He's, he's okay now, you see, uh, obviously. And um, he's made up into the hallowed halls of higher learning, so he's, he's okay, he's quite safe to go in there. And I'll tell you too, the reason they picked psychology, most of these people who, is because the psychologists have, have been at them heavily since they were children after they've been doing all the shootings and so on. And, and this becomes their topic themselves that they end up wanting to learn about and end up teaching it. It's very common. This is on August the 4th, 1967, the 16-year-old St. James reportedly walked into his family's living room with a 22 caliber rifle, shot his father twice in the chest, walked to his teenage sister's room and shot her in the chest. When she fell to the ground, he fired an additional round in her face. St. James then fired a round in his mother's chest and shot her an additional two times in the head. He admitted to the killings at the time, but was found not guilty by reason of insanity. He spent the following six years in a mental institution and was released, according to the Georgetown Advocate, local newspaper based in Texas, where the killings occurred. In a statement today, Millican University officials said they would permit St. James to continue teaching despite the surprising revelations. So, uh, if you can get into the higher realms of academia, you see, you obviously are, 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 are cured, you know, you're, you're perfect, and it's okay. Now, and I'll go, I'll go into the privatization issue. Uh, this government gives more uh, private-public partnerships out. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and I've spoken before about how government has been privatised. I mean, government, as far as I'm concerned, is already private. It's a corporation anyway. But uh, they're privatising all the public institutions that the public builds up with all their tax money and they give it off to their pals for peanuts, of course. And uh, it's always planned to be that way and that's the way it's going. It's a new feudal system, according to Carl Quigley, again, the historian of the CFR Council on Foreign Relations. And he knew because he was our archivist for the organization that was, was behind a lot of this. So anyway, as they go through all the farce uh, of uh, basically bringing down first world countries into third world countries, that's really what it is we're seeing. You'll find that uh, you're reading articles that really belong in third world countries. What they do, for instance, with the National Health Service in Britain, that used to work very well, in fact, but it wasn't destined to keep working forever because it wasn't de- it wasn't actually set up to. Neither was the, the pension funds and the welfare system. It wasn't set up to take in mass immigration from abroad, and so it's been it's been clamoured and, and hammered and so on. And it says an M- a member of parliament has called for an investigation into claims of the private ambulance staff. See that they privatised everything. You see, uh, for the national health service, they're, they're sleeping in tents. They work in agencies. You see. The reason that this was done by the NHS is so they don't have to pay them pensions and drug plans and insurance and so on. And so these agencies charge more than an arm and a leg, you know, uh, for the same services because it's a big private corporation and they want a big, big profit and they want the profits to keep going up for their shareholders and they give the guys who do the work at the bottom very, very little. So here's ambulance staff sleeping in tents because they can't afford basic accommodation. In England, this is. And it says uh, they're used by the East, Angli- East of England Ambulance Service, National Health Service Trust, and have been staying at Cambridgeshire campsites. Julian Hubert, MP for Cambridge, said it was a real problem. And the ERS Medical, who provided the staff, this is the company, uh, the private company, said it paid allowances of £35 a day above the industry norm. Staff are hired from private contractors when the National Health Service East of England Ambulance Trust needs cover and half a dozen workers who live in other parts of the country and have been staying at the campsite near Huntington. A whistleblower said staff were camping because the £35 a day to cover food and board when working away from home was not enough to pay for a hotel room, and it certainly wouldn't be. And it says... um, an NHS ambulance worker who wanted to remain anonymous said, It really doesn't surprise me. I fail to see how you can travel from another area and have a hotel room, bed, breakfast, or anything like that on the rates they'll be receiving. And the, the, the Member of Parliament said it was astonishing. But is it? I mean, what else can you do? As to privatise, privatise everything and have uh, guys from different areas all moving back and forth. Uh, and then they're sleeping in tents because they can't afford to live. Um, what do you expect? This, this is the new feudal order, folks. Feudalism, as quickly said, is, is the new system to come in. And the CEOs of corporations, giant corporations, are the new feudal overlords. They really are. And it was designed to be this way, by the way. So I'll put these links up tonight. Remember, at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And get back to the U.S. 
It's a bit of, of nonsense here. It says, new, new U.S. ambassador to the United Nations says, it says, uh, should give up a, a, the U.S. should give up a pinch of sovereignty. This is the spin they're putting on it. It says that the U.S. Senate has voted to confirm Samantha Power as a permanent representative of the United States to the United Nations. She's, she's the wife of Cass Sunstein. Since on August the 1st, 87 senators agreed that power should be the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Only 10 senators opposed her confirmation. And some of them who opposed it claimed that she uh, was all for giving parts of the U.S. sovereignty over to the United Nations, as Obama also has mentioned himself before, too. So I'll put this up tonight, too. Now, many uh, articles have come over the years and over the years, and, and they've talked about... Uh, the World Health Organization put out one of them. In fact, they've talked about how all these big uh, vaccination programs have gone awry in some countries, and the Bill and Melinda Gates programs too. I know in Nigeria, about two years ago, they came out from the World Health Organization that uh, the polio they were giving the children there had created a super strain of polio. And, and they knew it because it was derived from, they can actually tell where the virus comes from. And it was a lab designed for, for the vaccinations. It created a super polio. And uh, it's happening elsewhere too. But uh, there's an article here too from Peru. It says uh, polio victims' families agreed to $1 million settlement. Uh, last child infected with polio lost his battle with the disease over the weekend. And it goes away. And I've got another article about that too. There's another one. I've got it as well since then. It says the seven families of the children who contracted polio after being vaccinated in Ministry of Health hospitals between 2003 and this year accepted an offer of, uh, and then they gave the price and so on, compensation for the harm caused to the minors. El Comercio reported. According to El Comercio, Mario Ross, lawyer for the family, said that Minster sent letters to the parents of seven children July 23rd, making it clear that almost one million souls, that's their money system for damages, was the final offer that the ministry was willing to give. This came after the families had refused an offer made in June that was around 300,000 souls. And the process has been long and tiring, it says. Parents are now waiting for a final meeting with Minsa. In this meeting, the parents will ask for the implementation of a new comprehensive program to rehabilitate their children. According to the parents, some of the infected children are receiving assistance, but they want better treatment. They're paralyzed, a lot of them, you see. Other ones died as well. Because you simply, muscles don't work when you're in your ribcage and you just die, you suffocate. And... This one too in uh, Mumbai, uh, here, this is from India too. It says, Mumbai child becomes the fourth Indian to get polio from the vaccine. A time has come to shift to injected polio vaccine from the oral vaccine as the, the injected type doesn't cause the disease. Well, they've known that for years. So a nine-month-old boy from uh, Navi, Mumbai, tested positive for vaccine-derived polio virus type 2 and is now on a ventilator at a hospital in Parle. This is the fourth such case recorded in the country this year alone. So I'll put this one up as well for those who are all pro-vaccines and etc, etc. This is very common, this kind of stuff. And it's good to save these articles too because you'll find uh, that they'll, they'll get wiped out. There's a big, big, heavy, powerful people out there who simply get these things removed as fast as they can. Even the CDC does it. But when they admitted uh, uh, about uh, the, the cancers that have caused and so on uh, with vaccinations, and then they pulled the site down again, or that page off their site uh, after a day, 
And luckily, I and other folk had copies of it sewn and saved it. But this is how fast things go down the memory hole in this day and age. And as, as they go, the big boys too go along on the same agenda, because all members of the same organization, they started to take over of the world. They want to take over all the resources, including food, remember, and water. And Monsanto's a big, big player in this. But it says, winning our hearts and minds, Monsanto's big food pulls out the big guns, it says. Uh, Monsanto and Big Food are taking the battle for consumers' hearts and minds to the next level. And it's no coincidence they're pulling out the big guns just as the Washington State campaign to label genetically modified organisms and food products is gaining steam. It says, can industry front groups and slick public relations firms convince us that the products they're peddling are not only safe but good for us? Well, the millions they spend on websites and advertorials pay off, it says. This is the freshly launched GMOAnswers.com is funded by the biotech industry, which claims it just wants to talk. And the recently formed Alliance to Feed the Future, representing more than 50 multinational food, agribusiness and biotech companies, wants to give us the real scoop on our food system. It's all public relations, as I say. And then it goes into this article, it says, Organic eggs, not if the USDA and the FDA can help it. See, the big associations you think are out there to safeguard you are not. They're to safeguard the big corporations. Are the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, and the Food and Drug Administration determined to keep chickens penned up and drop consumers of the right to real free-range organic eggs? It would seem so. First, the USDA's National Organics Program refuses to enforce standards set by the National Organic Standards Board requiring organic farmers to allow their hens and outdoors. Responding to complaints that organic farmers were violating the standards, the NOP said they have more urgent matters to deal with. Now the FDA wants to make it nearly impossible for organic farmers to raise free-range hens. Despite weak scientific evidence, the FDA says it's risky for organic farmers to let their hens come in contact with wild birds. So the FDA is proposing costly, redundant and onerous so-called food safety measures on organic farmers who let their hens outdoors. In other words, they want you to eat uh, these uh, battery hen uh, eggs and so on and chicken, uh, and that's all you're going to get, folks, because anything that's competing at all with this big global system and these big corporations is being hammered right now out of existence. That's the whole point of it. That's the point of it. And uh, what you're left with is poison, believe you me. That's what, that really is what you're left with. So I'll put that article up tonight, too. And also... Again, you have so many laws, you know, for different ones, for good for the goose and good for the gander, basically say, but some, sometimes the gander gets all of the, the perks. Lawmakers issued license plates that make them invisible to traffic cams and parking tickets. And so are the bureaucrats getting them. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and there's always perks for the jobs of course in government and and they've got lots of them they've got lots of them and of course they're not uh, liable to the same laws as you or I would be for instance lawmakers issued license plates and make them invisible to traffic cameras and, and they don't get parking tickets this is there are rules for the common people and rules for their leaders and only in rare cases do the same rules cover both Chris Moran the consumerist 
points out how politicians are being allowed to ignore the same laws that affect their constituents. Colorado legislators are immune from speeding tickets and parking tickets thanks to special plates issued to lawmakers, ones that uh, aren't included in the DMV database. According to CBS Denver, says the info for these particular license plates is never entered into the DMV database. So when some state senators go zooming by a uh, speed camera, he or she won't get a ticket because the camera system looks up the license plate number through the DMV. Since no info comes up, then no ticket is given. It says this appears to be true for parking tickets as well. It says even though a parking enforcement officer might leave a ticket on the car, cities like Denver, like the other ones too, that rely on the DMV for addresses of vehicle owners come up empty when they try to collect on those tickets. On the parking ticket side alone, there are $2,100 worth of unpaid tickets linked to these indivisible plates. The Department of Public Works has decided it's too costly to pursue collection of those fines. <laughs> Of course, now this is that uh, this, this public knowledge a politician has stepped up to do the, the to right the wrong. It says, and it says one state lawmaker has recently stated his intention to close this loophole through legislative action in the next session by simply doing away with the plates altogether. It says if only this sort of behaviour were an aberration. Earlier this year, Iowa Governor Terry Branstad's speeding SUV was pursued by a highway patrol officer who decided or was instructed not to pull it over after he read uh, the vehicle and realised who it was. Like in Colorado, certain public vehicles are issued plates that aren't listed with the Iowa DMV, which makes these vehicles automatically exempt from traffic camera tickets, parking violations, and apparently even speaking cl- uh, speeding clocks by an on-duty state trooper. It should be noted that the trooper raising the complaint about the governor's speeding driver, uh, another state trooper, was placed on leave after making this public. <laughs> That's how they deal with whistleblowers, eh? After the small debacle, Governor Branstad too stepped in to rein in injustice, except that his idea of reining in falls far short of Colorado's legislators Chris Holbert's plan. In Branstad's view, the problem isn't with the plates per se, it's that there are too many of them out there. And well, of course, everybody in government wants some. And Canada, they've got lots of them too. You always can tell the government license plates as well. They're, they park all over the place and, and, and they do what they think. And they speed too, of course. That's okay. It's, it's astonishing how indoctrinated everyone gets from a very early age That everyone's somehow more responsible up in these jobs I mean, truly it's a brainwashing that goes on to make us all believe this And same with the respectable businessman and all that kind of stuff I mean, business is pure warfare these days It's all open warfare And also, a good article too to do with Israel Because everybody's been complaining about... Uh, the money getting put up to other governments, foreign countries, uh, during times of austerity and and bank collapses and so on. But so it says Israel's told the U.S. that they'll share the burden of the sequester cuts. It says, in a gesture of goodwill, the Israel government has indicated it's willing to waive any protection from cuts in the U.S. budget sequester, giving up nearly 55 million dollars of the annual military aid that the U.S. provides to build the Iron Dome anti-missile system. President Barack Obama promised on a visit to Israel in March that funding for Iron Dome would not be cut by a sequester, but Israel has declined the offer, according to outgoing Israeli Ambassador Michael Oren, who revealed his government's gesture to Defence News. He says, our position is we must bear the, the burden that our American friends are bearing, he says. 
President Obama's recent budget earmarked $1 billion for joint missile defense programs, $607.3 million of which is to be spent on funding the Iron Dome in Israel over a three-year period. The Iron Dome system was designed by Rafael Advanced Defense Systems and Israel Aerospace Industries to intercept and destroy short-range rockets of the type fired by terrorists at Israeli civilians from Gaza or southern Lebanon. So, that's awfully nice of them to, to, I remember after the banks collapsed in 2008, they actually sent a delegation over from Israel to make sure they got their annual cuts. <laughs> that was in the papers too. Everything's about money, isn't it? You know, it's always yours though, isn't it? Your money. And, um, this article ties in with, uh, it's, a, it's a PR blurb, but it's, it ties in with Agenda 21, also called, called the Millennium Project. Uh, the United Nations. And the United Nations had an article up before on its own website that said stop using, some people to stop using the term Agenda 21 because the general public were finding out what it meant. And that's to get all the, the folk off the rural areas uh, and into rental accommodation in, in uh, the overcrowded cities for the next 50 years till we all die off. But it says, is this the end of the American dream? How families are choosing city living over suburbs for the first time in a hundred years. It says the end of the suburbs explains how changing economic trends are making suburban lifestyle less desirable. Rising energy costs are making commutes unaffordable. Remember the power of the purse they said they'd use at the end to get all this through? That's what they're doing, of course. So it says since the invention of the automobile in 1888, the rate of suburban population growth has consistently outpaced that of urban centers. But in 2011, for the first time in a 100 years, the trend reversed. Demographics, environmental concerns, and rising energy costs all play roles according to the end of the suburbs where the American dream is moving. A new book that charts the rise of the fall of American suburbia. And it says powerful social trends is shrinking and transforming the American nuclear family, well, they destroyed it almost, uh, uh, along, along the dominant river of suburbia, wrote the author Leigh Gallagher. It says, simply speaking, more and more Americans don't want to live there anymore. Actually, they can't live there anymore. They can't afford it. Originally, suburbs were quaint, three-trillion villages, but the, the post-World War II housing shortage, the low-interest loans for middle class, led to suburban house becoming as much as part of the American dream as two children and a dog. And this is a suburbs grew, so did a lack of cultural amenities, explains uh, Gallagher, who's also the assistant manager editor of Fortune magazine. Suburbs, she said, leads to miles and miles of Ruby Tuesdays and longer and longer commutes. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the average American takes 25.4 minutes to get to work every day and 10.8 million face trips of more than an hour. But rising energy costs means that for many people, the trips are becoming less economical. Battered by the job market, thanks to free trade, of course, some young people nicknamed Generation Rent. And it's true enough, I've talked to lots of young folk who come out of universities and they just rent. They have no intention ever of trying to own a home. And so they're called Generation Rent because they're increasingly delaying home ownership are also choosing to settle in diverse urban areas. And it says, um, construction permit data shows that in several cities, building activity that was once concentrated in the suburban fringe has now shifted primarily to cities, or what planners call the urban core. House builders claim that uh, McMansions are out, while condominiums, townhouses and multifamily housing units that emphasize efficient use of space are the future, and so on and so on and so on. Well, that's, that is the future. Straight, this, is, this article in, in the book, no doubt, is straight out of Agenda 21, without telling you it's actually an agenda, because they don't mention Agenda 21 anywhere in it.
But uh, of course they said they would use the power of the purse and, and governments just a big tool of the big international bankers at the top that really run the whole system. And I really mean that, by the way. Uh, I mean, the top bankers on the planet, the international moneylenders, own hundreds and hundreds of international corporations each. They own them, the big ones. Also, this is a very apt article to do with Homeland Security because its future home is a former mental hospital. That's where it belongs, obviously. And it says, um, Chris Mills frequently gives tours of St. Elizabeth's Hospital, a former mental institution for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's building, $4.5 million headquarters. It's the largest construction project in the District of Columbia since the Pentagon was completed in 1943. So there's a lot of ground to cover. Mills prefers to chauffeur his guests around the place in a golf cart. And so they go through the whole article and so on, and how it's a mental hospital, yada, yada, yada. It's amazing how there's always money for all of the future, isn't it? The future, of course, is, is complete anti-terrorism forever and ever and ever. And I've read the articles that have actually stated that from the military magazines. Perpetual war. This is your future. And there'll always be money for it. There'll always be money for it, folks. And that's the music coming in, and the hour certainly speeds in, doesn't it? But from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada is good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>